At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying his word together. Today, we invite you to tune in for our current series, Reveal, Stories with Purpose as we study the parables of Jesus, reading stories with the power to reveal God's truth in our lives. We're continuing our series this week in the book of Luke. It's called Revealed Stories with a Purpose. And a couple weeks ago, Pastor John Morales started out in, us out in this series telling us the parable of the sower. Uh, last week, we looked at the parable of the prodigal son. And what we saw within the parable of the prodigal son is that God's heart is for all those who come to him, recognize they're a sinner, repent and turn away from their sin and their old way of life and give their lives to him. That he lavishly blesses them with love and grace. That he is a good father and he is a good king. And we saw that there's two different people that that invitation is offered to. It is those who have broken God's law through sins of the world and also those who have broken God's law by trying to earn salvation on their own and trying to earn righteousness through their deeds. The group of people that Jesus was talking to last week is a group of people by the name of the Pharisees, which were actually the religious elite of that day. And many times you'll see when Jesus tells parables, he's talking to the Pharisees. Now, for those of you who weren't here last week, a parable is simply a story with a lesson. Some people have said it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And so what we're doing as we look at these parables, we're trying to look at the lesson that is being taught within the word of God in order that we can apply it to our lives and we can also see the very heart of God within these parables as well. This morning, we're going to look at another parable in Luke chapter 14. So if you have your uh, copy of God's word with you, please open it to Luke chapter 14. We're gonna be looking at verses 12 through 24. If you don't have a copy of God's word, pull out your cell phone, pull out your iPad, pull out whatever else you have. We also should have it on the screen as well. We wanna be able to dive into the word of God today. And we're gonna see Jesus, he's gonna confront the Pharisees and what he's going to be talking to them about and what we're gonna see word challenged into today is that we're called to share the invitation to God's celebration. Now, what I mean by that is we are called to share the gospel of Jesus Christ in order that people could partake in the wedding supper of the Lamb in heaven when Jesus Christ returns and when all those who put their faith and trust in him will sit with him and dine with him in joyous celebration. And so Luke chapter 14, we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 24. So Uh, Turn there with me, Luke chapter 14, 12 through 24. Before we get into 12 through 24, again, important for us to always do is to know the context of what's going on. Even if you have like little devotionals that you read each and every day that's just one verse and it's got application to it, I encourage you, read the entire scripture around that passage because every passage is within a context. It's written to an audience. It's written by an author. There's stuff that's going on within this passage. The same as the parable we're going to be looking at today in Luke 12 through 24. The context text is set up in Luke 14 verse 1. So look there with me. Look Luke 14 verse 1. One Sabbath when he went to dine at the house of the ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. So the day is a Sabbath for the Jews. That was a Saturday. And, and what they did, they worshiped together and then they had a meal at their homes. Well, one Sabbath, what happens is Jesus is invited over to the house of a very prominent leader of the Pharisees. 
Now, this is, this is interesting that they're inviting Jesus over to the house of a Pharisee. Because how many of y'all know the Pharisees didn't like Jesus? The Pharisees hated Jesus. The Pharisees were always trying to, to destroy Jesus. They were trying to kill Jesus. And they were always trying to catch him. So this is a little bit weird that a religious leader, a Pharisee, is inviting Jesus over to his home with all of the other Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day. Because Jesus taught that the, the kingdom of God was through him. And the Pharisees believed that you could get the kingdom of God through keeping all of the laws and being the most righteous person. And we see Jesus continually confronting the Pharisees with this. And so Jesus is invited to the house of this Pharisee. So you ask the question, why? Well, if you look at verse 2, we start to see how they're trying to catch him. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. Now, if you look at that passage, the first word we see is, and behold. Now, this word is a word of surprise or shock in the language. And so what you're looking at here is it says, and behold, there was this guy who had dropsy. Now, it's kind of sarcastic the way that it's written because it's like, you know that they were going to have something going on there. So it's almost like, and it just so happened that there was a guy there who had dropsy. Uh, now you guys are like, what's dropsy? Some of you may know if you're from the medical background, but a dropsy is an edema in the body. It's actually swelling that happens in the limbs, normally the hands or the feet. And so what happens is Jesus comes to the house of the Pharisees on the Sabbath, which is very, very important because there were very strict Sabbath laws that you kept. You did not work on the Sabbath. You didn't, uh, you didn't get a fire going. You didn't cook on the Sabbath and you did not heal on the Sabbath. And so what they're doing here is they're putting a guy who is, who is, who is sick in front of Jesus. And they're saying, what are you going to do, Jesus? They're trying to catch him in this because if Jesus heals this guy, then he's discrediting himself as a teacher that he would not even keep the laws of the Sabbath, which was a huge violation. Well, Jesus handles this absolutely masterfully. What he does, he says, is it lawful for me to heal on the Sabbath? Well, the obvious answer is no. And then Jesus turns to the dude with edema and what he does is he heals him right in their face. I mean, Jesus, Jesus was incredible. There's a book called Jesus Mean and Wild. You know, sometimes I think we think of Jesus and he's this mild-mannered guy and meek, and he, he is. He, but Jesus was mean and wild, and Jesus Christ was, he, he did not play around when it came to truth and rightness. And what he does here, and he had mercy and compassion, and so he shows compassion on this man, and he heals him. Then he turns to the Pharisees and says, listen, which one of you, if your oxen fell into a well on the Sabbath, would not pull him out? If the oxen falls in, are you just going to leave him there until the morning? Then he ups the ante. He says, what if your son falls in the well? Which one of you would pull him out? The answer is, if my son fell in a well, I'd pull him out of the well. And what he's showing the Pharisees there is that it is right to show compassion on the Sabbath. They were so caught up in the earning the, this religious rites that their hearts were wrong. We see this throughout Scripture. Then Jesus enters into a discourse on humility. And what he does here, he's, he's showing the, the Pharisees that they are called to not take the most prominent places when they go to a dinner, but to sit at the more humble places, to be people of humility who see themselves properly. Again, the the Pharisees thought they were pretty big stuff if they did say so themselves. They really thought they were something else. 
They used to, you know what they used to do? They used to go to the street corners at the busiest times of day during market days, stand and pray, and they say, thank you, God, that I'm not like everybody else. We'll see that next week, a parable that we're looking at. This was the way that their hearts were, and they were not right before God. And so he gives them this discourse on humility. And verse 11 says, For those who humble himself will be, who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And then we come to our parable today in verse 12, where he gives an example of what it looks like to humble oneself. And it's the parable of the great banquet. And like I said before, the big idea that we see is that Jesus is going to teach the Pharisees who the gospel is given to and who we are to share the gospel with and to change their view, really, of people in general and get to their heart. Look at Luke 14, beginning in verse 12. And he said... Also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just." Now, the first thing we need to see and we can learn from this is that when we think about the invitation of the gospel, we need to check our current invite list. Who are we seeing worthy as having the gospel to? Or who are we seeing as those whom God would show favor on? And what Jesus does here, now you have to remember, he's sitting around this table. He's already healed this guy on the Sabbath. So they think he's a Sabbath violator. He's challenged them. Then he tells them, you guys are prideful. You need to be humble. And now he's sitting here and he says to the guy that invites him, he says, listen, when you throw a big old party like this and a big old dinner, what you need to do is invite all of the poor, blind, humble people within society, the beggars, because they can't repay you. And see, what would actually happen with these, uh, with these dinners is that they would have these lavish banquets. They were massive and they would spend tons of money on them and they were huge affairs. And what would happen is the rich people would invite all of the rich people into these banquets. The hope was is that if you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. And so what happened here was it was just this, this system of reciprocity as, as they would invite people to their banquets, they would then hopefully be invited to the other guy's banquet. And so what was happening is they were helping push each other up in society because all of them, all they really wanted to do was to get power and prestige and position and recognition and money. And so that's what these banquets did. And Jesus says, listen, when you throw one of these banquets, don't invite all your rich friends. Don't invite all of the people who can repay you. He says, listen, you invite the poor, the blind, the lame. This would have been unheard of in that society. The poor, the blind, and the lame. Those were the outcasts. You didn't invite them to your dinner party because if they, they were seen at your dinner party, then you would be seen as associating with those type of people. We see the Pharisees talk to Jesus and say, why do you associate with sinners? What type of teacher are you? Well, what happens here is that Jesus is giving value to these people. The Pharisees would have seen no value with these people at all. Actually, they would have thought that if they're blind and lame or poor, that it was their own sin that probably took them there, or it was the sins of their parents. We see a Pharisee talk to Jesus and say, well, this guy's blind. Who sinned, him or his parents? Do you see that? That was the idea that they had. And so to invite these people to your party was a big no, no. 
You did not do it. But Jesus says, do it. And he says, listen, God has a special place in his heart for those people who are the blind, the lame, the beggar, the outcast. So much so that if you invite them to your party, you're going to get, rep- uh, you're going to get repaid. You're going to get repaid at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He didn't say Jesus Christ, but they would have been thinking about the kingdom of God. And they would have been thinking about eternal life. And they knew what he was saying here. It's a beautiful picture of of, of helping the Pharisees see how God views other people. Uh, One commentator says he commends those who reach out to the needy and minister to them, often in quiet ministries that no one ever sees. True righteousness does not look for a payback, but is offered free of charge, graciously, just as God in Christ has forgiven us free of charge. We could never repay God for forgiveness. And we could never do enough good deeds in order to earn salvation. It is only by the grace and mercy of God that we would ever be saved. And that's what Jesus continually is trying. He's he's battling Pharisees with. You know, Jesus isn't just trying to get us to think more about how we view people in society. He's not talking about lunch invitations or, or huge parties and the people we invite. I mean, this could be an application. You know, uh, you know when, when I was growing up, I, the, I, was, I remembered for my birthday who I used to invite. You know, I used to grow up in Traverse City. And for my birthday, what I got to do was invite one or two friends to this place called Pizzarama. Now, Pizzarama was like the Chuck E. Cheese of Traverse City, and I loved it, especially this Ninja Turtle game that you put a golf ball in and you get tickets out of. It was like my jam. I loved it. And so uh, I would look, and my parents would say, who do you want to invite to your birthday party? And I'd say, well, I want to invite this person who I really like. And sometimes I'd even invite people to my birthday party because they were popular, and I hoped that maybe if they came to my birthday party and they said, yes, I too could be popular. You know, I I think a realistic application for kids and for elementary students and for those in high school and those in junior high is to look for the outcast. Look for the kid who sits by themselves at the lunch table. Look for the kid who no one else talks to because of the clothes they wear or because whatever other reason. You don't know that person's story. You don't know who they are. You don't know what type of home life they have. They could be so dirt poor that they have no food at their home, and the only food that they get is food at school. There's many kids within Macomb County who are in that situation. See, the heart of God is for those who are the outcast. So I want to challenge you kids, students, if you see that kid, go reach out to him, talk to him, sit with him, because great is your reward in heaven. But the other thing is that while it's easy to do this for our parties, it's also easy to do this with the invitation for the gospel. It's easier to share the gospel, I would say, with people that we identify with and we're closer to and those people that that are part of our same socioeconomic background or or, or ethnic culture or, or whatever else. It's easier to share the gospel because we identify and we have common things that, uh, that, that that we can agree upon. But the reality is, is that that makes complete sense and we should share the gospel with those people. But we should never overlook those people that God brings in our lives 
that we may think that we we, we may think that we we wouldn't normally share the gospel with them. For me, I, I grew up. Um, I didn't grow up. I didn't grow up in Chicago. I went, to a, I went to school at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, and there's homeless people all over Chicago. And I remember walking the streets as a Moody Bible Institute student, and I look at the homeless people, and I think, I really should share the gospel with them. I really should talk to them. And then I started to think in my mind, well, why would they ever listen to me? Look at the state they're in. Would they really ever want to hear the gospel when this is how God has allowed their life to be. But the reality is, is that the poor, the blind, the lame, the beggar, they have nothing else. And you have the greatest gift and invitation you could ever give them, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Giving the gospel of Jesus Christ is more valuable than anything else in this world. Because while this life may be horrible for that individual, they have an eternity that they can look forward to. They have someone to trust in in these hard times in their lives. They will have a peace that transcends their circumstance. And I've been so challenged this week as I've looked at this text to be like, who am I overlooking in my life that God has brought into my life that I can enter into a relationship with and share the gospel with? I'm not saying you have to stand on the street corners and do street preaching. What I'm saying is open our eyes and look for the people in our lives whom God is bringing in and let's share the gospel with them no matter what they look like or any of these different things. Let's change our way we view people and let's change our way we view the invitation to the gospel. It's really important to realize that God has a heart that wants people to come to know him and that we are called to evangelize. You know, one of the things that I've seen within more reformed circles, which is what we are, reformed meaning that we believe that God is in control of salvation. He is the one who by his grace alone can save us. We can do nothing to earn him, nothing to choose him. He chooses us, he saves us, he makes us alive, and he makes us righteous and holy before him. And aren't you glad of that, amen? But within that, it's easy to start the thought process that, well, if God has those whom he has chosen and those whom he is going to save, then why should I tell people about Jesus? Because if they're guaranteed to be saved one way or another, why should I evangelize? And there are those who don't evangelize. Well, the answer to that comes from Romans chapter 10. Look at Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 15. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ is how salvation comes to people. The gospel of Jesus Christ is what breaks into people's hearts and changes them. The word of God, Hebrews says, is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God that brings salvation. So may we not hold the word, and may we share it with all those around us. It's amazing because God gives us spheres of influence, and God gives us people in our lives that we get the opportunity to share the gospel with. So let's not overlook anybody. So Jesus first challenges them with who they're inviting to their banquets and how they're viewing people. 
Well, second, we, we want you to see within this text in Luke chapter 14, verse 15, to see how Jesus invites all peoples. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. So Jesus says, when you have these parties, don't invite your rich friends. He says, instead, invite the poor, the blind, and the beggars. And this dude just goes, well, blessed are all those who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. He's like trying to change the mood. He's trying to say something that brings a positivity to it. But also at the same time, what he is saying, this idea of eating bread in the kingdom of God was actually to think to Isaiah chapter 25, and they would have seen eternity as a huge banquet with the finest meats and the finest wines and the finest whatever you had. And that's how they viewed, that's how they viewed this beautiful supper of God. He says, blessed are those who will eat bread at the table of God. Namely, we Pharisees have already got that. We are going to eat bread at the kingdom of God. It's as if he offers this toast and says, how blessed is it when we all get to heaven and everyone else raised their cups and said, here, here. Really countering all of what Jesus is saying. And Jesus responds with this parable. He says, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servants to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be full. Jesus responds by telling this story. Now you have to understand what's going on here. They had these huge banquets. And what would happen when somebody threw a huge banquet is they would send a servant out with an invite. But in a time where there were no clocks and there was no schedules, you would go out and you would say, okay, my master's gonna be having a, a, a banquet at some time in the near future. Are you gonna come? Really what they're saying, clear your schedule, get ready for this. And if they said yes, well, then they were planning on coming. And the thing is, you didn't miss out on these parties because you could grow in reputation, you could, you could grow in relationship, you could grow in, in status, you just didn't say no to these things. And quite frankly, they were amazing. They would last for days up to a week or longer, and you'd eat, and you'd spend time with one another, and you'd enjoy each other's company. But what happens is very interesting. So the initial invitation has already gone out. Now the servant goes out again, and he says to those who have already been invited, okay, it's time, everything's prepared. Because in that culture, they had to, they had to kill the cow, they had to clean it, they had to cut it up, they had to prepare it, they had to prepare everything, and it took a long time. And so finally, when everything was ready, they said to those invited, okay, it is time to feast. But these guys, they reject this invitation. And look at these excuses that are offered. He says, the first said, I bought a field and I must go and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. 
Now it's interesting because the text says that all of those were making excuses. Every single person who was invited says, yeah, I don't want to go. And here's the reason why. Uh, these excuses are interesting because they all have one theme. They're all about material things. The first thing that we see that is prized above the invitation to the banquet is land. Now, the way it used to work was a sale would be made, and upon final inspection, after the sale was made, that's when it was truly written in stone. So that's what this guy is doing. He says, listen, I just bought some land. I got to go check it out. The second guy says, well, I just bought five yoke of oxen. I need to go check them out to make sure this sale is final as well. And the third guy, I think this is the most realistic excuse that we actually see. He says, I cannot come because I just married a wife. I'll be real with you. For me, if I have a salesperson that's trying to sell me something, one of my greatest excuses is to say, you know what? That sounds absolutely great. I need to go talk to my wife first, though. It's a good excuse. But, but none of these excuses are good enough because you did not say no to these banquets. This would have been, this would have been ludicrous to the audience that was listening here. They would have seen it as a joke. And while all of these things are important, getting the field and taking good care of it and making sure you inspect it before you buy it and, and making sure to expect the oxen and definitely marriage and relationship with your wife is so vitally important. What they've done is they've rejected the invitation of the master in order to choose these things. So the master rightly gets angry because if you rejected this invitation in the culture, it was like slapping this guy in the face because an invitation was like saying, I want friendship with you. Some commentaries actually say that if you said no to these invitations, it was, it was accustomed, it was akin to actually declaring war on that individual because you rejected their friendship. And so the master gets angry and he says to his servant, go out, get the blind, the poor, the lame, the beggars. Servant said, I already have done that. And there's still room. He says, then go out to the hedges and go out to the highways and invite all of those people in that my house may be full. It's amazing here because we see the invitation. We see the excuses. We see those who are included. The poor, the blind, the lame, the beggar. Those in the highways and the hedges, they are all coming into the feast now, it's interesting what it says. It says that the servant has to go out and compel them to come in. This is a very strong word. They had to convince them. They had to basically drag them in. The reason why is because they would have known that they shouldn't have been at this banquet. They should never sit before the presence of this rich man who would have the wealth to throw this banquet. It just didn't work in their society. And so they'd have to compel them to come in. What we see here is we see a people who realize what their standing truly is before this rich man, this master. Now, there's a deeper truth within this parable. See, those who are first invited are the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. All the way back in the Old Testament, God chose the nation of Israel for his people, not because they were the greatest of people, not because they had such a huge number, but because he chose them in his grace. He gave them the law and the prophets, and yet when his Messiah came, the religious leaders rejected him. 
the Messiah, Jesus, was sitting right with them and all they wanted to do was kill him because he was going to take away their prominence and their authority and everything they worked so hard to do. And they're focusing on all the things of this world and the things that they can get versus relationship with the master of the feast. Well, the poor, the blind, the beggars, the outcasts, that would represent those in Jewish society who were not the religious elite. Those in Jewish society who, who realized that they were sinners. You see, they realized their position before the master of that household. And finally, those who were in the highways and the hedges and the street corners, those are the Gentiles. Everyone else who is not a Jew. What Jesus is saying is that the nation of Israel has rejected the Messiah. The religious leaders have rejected the Messiah. And now the invitation is to those who will realize that they are poor and blind and beggars and those who are Gentiles who will turn in the realization of their place before God. See, if the Pharisees actually realized what the scripture said about every single person who's ever been born, they would have seen that it didn't matter how much good stuff they did, that they were on the same playing field as every single one of these people. They had no right to sit before the banquet of a holy and righteous God. Nothing they could do could ever earn a place at the table. So they too should look at themselves and realize that they too were sinners and in that turn and repent and turn to Jesus and say there's nothing we could do to earn salvation. It is only through your grace, God. But they didn't see that. They didn't realize that. They were trying to earn it. You know, there may be those of you out here today who are trying to earn relationship with God. Maybe you came from a, a tradition that told you if you just do enough good things, if you just make sure you go to church every Sunday or you say the right number of prayers or you give the right amount of money to the church or you do all of these things properly, then you will go to be with God. The reality is that the scripture says that there's only one way to relationship with God in heaven and that's through Jesus Christ. Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. It is only by grace. Ephesians says, uh, not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not a result of works. Works will not save you. It's sad for me to realize that there will be people who go to church every single week. There will be people who have done all the good things all of their lives, who've never surrendered to Jesus Christ. And when they stand before Jesus, as we see in Matthew chapter 7, he will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. Do you see the relationship there? Do you see the surrender there? Focusing on surrendering our lives to Christ. Later on in Luke 14, Jesus says the cost of discipleship is that if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brother and sister. Yes, even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. What he is saying is that we must give ourselves fully to him and put full trust in him, realizing it is only through him that we can be saved. It is only through him that any can be saved. So the question we have to ask today is, I invent, 
Pastor Brent and the team up is who needs to be invited to the party and who is on your invite list? Really the challenge is to take out a piece of paper, to pull out your phone, make a note, and think of three people. Three people whom God has brought into your life on a regular basis that he's calling you to share the gospel with. He's calling you to enter into relationship with. He's calling you to invest into. He's calling you to have over for dinner. He's calling you to go out of your way to talk to. Because my sphere of influence and your sphere of influence is completely different. Yet if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have the greatest gift that can ever be given, which is to share the gospel, to share the good news that truly this world is absolutely nothing. That truly there is nothing in this world that will ever satisfy you. That truly you could be a millionaire or you could be homeless. You will never be satisfied apart from Jesus Christ. Because for the millionaire, it will be just one more dollar. And for the homeless person, it will be if my circumstances just change. Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. How are they to believe on him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear unless someone preaches? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Because when you share the gospel of Jesus Christ, you share an invitation into relationship with our Father who is righteous and holy and just. And in that, our God gets great glory. And he is truly worthy of all that praise. So will you stand and sing with us as we sing about building our lives on God's love. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together this week. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and to get you connected to the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org forward slash connect to introduce yourself today.